This Government Matters podcast is sponsored by Hughes Network Systems, delivering innovation for civilian and military connectivity. It is time to expect more from your network. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. Agencies can hire former federal employees that come back to government at higher grades than when those employees left government, according to a new final rule from the Office of Personnel Management. Employees can sign on at the higher grade if they've gained relevant experience since they left government. Federal Times reports the returning employees can get on career tracks with more promotion potential, too. Special hiring authorities at the Internal Revenue Service may leave the agency with skills gaps. The Special Inspector General for Tax Administration found 84% of IT employees the agency hired in fiscal 2020 come up short in one or more mission-critical areas. NextGov reports the IG recommends changing interviewing and hiring processes to screen better for those skills. Air Force Materiel Command's aiming for 2023 to start restructuring its IT weapons design and acquisition processes. Materiel Command Commander General Arnold Bunch says the service will lay out its vision for the changes in the five-year budget plan in the 2023 budget request. Breaking Defense reports Bunch says his command's already laying the groundwork for that effort. White House wants a million federal workers to report back to the office this summer as the pandemic winds down. The Biden administration set the deadline for agencies to hand in return to office plans for July 19th. Mika Cross is a federal workplace expert. Mika, welcome back. It's good to see you again. What kind of planning should people be doing today to get ready for people coming back whenever they decide it's the right time to do it? Well, thanks for having me again, Francis. Always nice to see you as well. You know, I think agencies right now should be taking advantage of the luxury that they didn't have at the beginning of the pandemic, which is time to be thoughtful and strategic around how to ensure that federal workers are going to stay safe and healthy and also are cared for from a morale uh, perspective as well. So that takes considerations of all kinds. For instance, what we're going to do with federal workers who can't or choose not to get vaccinated um, and also following the CDC guidelines that are still in place regarding physical distancing and what this administration published with regards to maximum occupancy in federal buildings, which still remains around 25%. So time is one issue and timing strikes me as another issue. Um, the deciding what the pathway looks like for people to come back to the office. Uh, and and the, the, the administration d- didn't really give deadlines for when people should be back. So that strikes me as more art than science, right? I agree with you 100%. And I think a lot of this is going to be up to the individual agencies based on mission, based on productivity, and also around their assessments on how they were performing their service to be public through the pandemic while working primarily fully remotely. But, you know, we had such a large population of workers who also weren't working remotely. So it is going to take an art of sorts to determine who's going to work when and with whom. I mean, consider even those that are going to opt into continuing wearing the mask for safety purposes. If People are making decisions around collaboration and in-person, maybe having more weight than working remotely, but 
teams are going to come together and maybe some will be masked and maybe some won't be. How is that going to impact even hidden biases with regards to distance bias, recency bias, and performance management? And there's also the consideration of equity. Regarding going to be offered the ability to continue working fully remote versus which workers are going to be required to come in some of the time with a continued emphasis on some telework as well. So as you're talking about all of these things, Mika, uh, I think about the conversations we have uh, about rethinking business processes in IT modernization. It strikes me there's the same opportunity here, isn't there? Isn't this an opportunity since agencies have the luxury of time to think how do we really want to accomplish the work and we can build it however we want to. We don't have to figure out how to go back to normal and fall back to whatever pattern an agency was doing before unless that was working really, really, really well. They can essentially start over, can't they, and rebuild these blocks, put them in whatever positions they want them to. And build upon them, Francis. I mean, quite frankly, this is an opportunity to really build a premier and optimal unified digital workspace experience so that workers can enjoy the collaboration, efficiency in how they work, digitization, moving to the cloud, and all of these capabilities we passed during the pandemic, we can bring those lessons learned to strengthen the way that we work in any environment and in any location as we move forward with reimagining how work is going to be designed for now and evermore in the future. What data is available for decision makers, whether they're human capital decision makers or uh, in other specialties, what data is available for people to consider when they're creating these back to office plans? I think of first and foremost, going back to the most recent FEBS data, there's some really interesting information, especially with regards to the pandemic questions that were asked by OPM this year. So when you go back and look at your agency scores, I would consider prioritizing, reviewing the um, sets of questions that ask about the resources that were needed but maybe not utilized while the federal workers were working primarily remotely because those are going to be key indicators of what you're going to need to have in place to transition them successfully back into whatever workspace you're going to design for them. Is the data the data and it tells you what it tells you or is are there ways to interpret that data to understand how you need to operationalize it? What I really love seeing right now is that agencies are already being really proactive in measures to assess additional indicators from their workforce. So I'm seeing a lot of survey data and listening sessions with the workforce, with unions, and then also with managers and supervisors specifically, so that they can see holistic differences are with regards to how people are assessing or perceiving how it worked, both while we were in the midst of the pandemic and now that we're hopefully graduating back to that new normal um, and getting all of that information along with the data to determine what was working, what might there be opportunities for improvement and what the workforce truly wants and needs to perform optimally. So it's really a unique opportunity for us to test things out again, but with more thoughtfulness than we had the luxury of having in the beginning of the pandemic. I think also, you know, it's interesting to consider not everyone, even if they're coming back to the office, will be working at the same time. You know, it's very strongly encouraged to think about different shifts, alternative schedules, making sure public transportation is keeping top of mind as well in, in terms of limiting capacity there. And how are we going to make sure we're supporting caregivers and parents who might need to then adjust back to what they were doing pre-pandemic as well. There are an awful lot of considerations 
but there's great data, there's great best practices, and also um, taking a look at what private industry is doing can be really helpful for agency leaders now as well. Mika Cross, thanks very much. It's great to have you back on the show. Thank you so much, Francis. Great to see you. Up next, fiscal winter is coming. Straight ahead on Government Matters, the top three things contractors should do now to get ready for the end of fiscal 2021. You're watching WJLA 24-7 News. Welcome back. The $6 trillion White House budget request will change contractor activities for fiscal 2022. The request shows big budget increases, but contractors can't quite track directly where those bump ups will go yet. Larry Allen's president of Allen Federal Business Partners. He's writing about three things contractors should do in June in his weekly newsletter. Larry, thanks very much for coming on the program. I thought when I first saw your newsletter, it's June. This doesn't none of this stuff's a big deal. But the last quarter of the fiscal year starts in less than three weeks now. So it strikes me this is very important. Um, the first thing you write about on this list is refining your pipeline. And you write, this may be more important this year than ever before. Why so? Francis, it's more important this year than in previous years because we've got some policy changes that the Biden administration is putting into place. That's going to definitely have an impact on acquisition. Things like increasing the small business disadvantaged business goal, which is a great policy objective, but it certainly is going to require people in acquisition to maybe change their acquisition approach for specific projects. And if you're a larger business and you've been tracking a project, uh, it may suddenly disappear from your radar. And the reason why is because the government may decide that they want to repackage that as a small business or small disadvantaged business set aside. So as a general rule, it's always good to vet your uh, pipeline as you're going into the last part of the fiscal year. I'm recommending that people do it earlier this year and that they pay more attention to specific uh, patterns in uh, acquisition, whether things are going to be pulled off and repackaged uh, you don't want to commit a lot of bid and proposal dollars to an opportunity that is suddenly not going to be an opportunity you can bid on. Do you have a sense that a lot of stuff that's already wired for 2021 could change in that way? Or is it just that the possibility exists and people should be cognizant of the possibilities, Larry? Francis, the anecdotal evidence that I'm getting from companies is that it's definitely going to happen and it's going to happen in the last quarter of the fiscal year. Uh, we've been told that a couple of DOD projects uh, are likely to be uh, repackaged. Uh, a couple of them have already been pulled off the, well, not, not been on the street, but a couple of them have already been pulled out of development and are going to be uh, done as small business set-asides. Uh, I think we'll probably find more of that. Uh, anytime you go in and talk to a acquisition person, particularly a senior acquisition executive today, you're going to hear the uh, small business mantra. And that's fine. I think that if companies of any size, however, need to be prepared for what that means for how they approach the business. If you're a larger business, you're really going to want to make sure you've got some good small business partners. The second item on your list is uh, also has to do with small business and you write strengthening your small business relationships is something to do this month. And you write, you may be in the unaccustomed position of having to show your small business partner 
why they should do business with you. Usually works the other way around, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Usually small businesses are trying to prove themselves to large primes, but I'm not sure that that's going to be so much the case right now, Francis. I think for the last uh, several months of this fiscal year and into the next fiscal year, small businesses, particularly small disadvantaged businesses, are going to increasingly be in control. And larger businesses are going to have to maybe sharpen their pencil on what type of pricing they can offer to a small business uh, partner, what type of work they are willing to do in order to continue to bid on projects that may suddenly uh, have a small business component to them. Uh, the small businesses are going to be uh, a little bit more in control. It's going to be a little bit more of an even discussion. Uh, whereas before the larger businesses held most of the cards. It's not that larger companies aren't going to hold any cards, but I think that there will be a little bit of a culture shock, Francis. Uh, companies that are used to calling the shots may find that they have some shots called for them. Uh, the third item on your list, Larry, is don't sit glued in one position. There are other places to meet besides a federal office building. That's kind of an on the one hand, maybe a no-brainer because of the pandemic, and on the other hand, I imagine it's made it infinitely harder for people to connect with their customers and potential customers. It really has, Francis. When we're talking about uh, closing federal office buildings, remote work, uh, both of those have had a substantial impact on traditional ways that contractors develop relationships. And relationship development is an absolutely critical part of being successful in the government market. So how do you do that in this time? Surprisingly, I've found companies that are really happy to be glued to their seats, glued to their screens, kind of like we are now, uh, and don't want to get out and move around. But you've got to get out and move around. You've got to move beyond the virtual, particularly now as society is starting to open back up. You may not be able to go into that office building, but there are uh, coffee shops and restaurants that are in close proximity to many of those federal office buildings, Francis. Uh, so long as you keep in mind what the ethics rules are, you should really try and reach out to your uh, clients, your prospects, re-engage in person, uh, get to know them. Hey, maybe even uh, you end up driving around the Beltway and finding a new Starbucks that's near where that contact is. Uh, that could be a very good use of your time. Uh, sitting still, you're going to grow roots, and roots mean you're not very mobile. Larry Allen, thanks very much as always. Appreciate it. Francis, thank you. You can find the link to Larry's top three at govmatters.tv slash resources. Up next, a ticking clock for the Office of Management and Budget. Straight ahead on Government Matters, the digitization deadlines that are coming and going. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. We'll be right back. The clock is ticking on guidance for agencies for the 21st Century Integrated Digital Experience Act. The Office of Management and Budget is months to years behind on deadlines the IDEA Act required. Jonathan Albums, Federal Chief Technology Officer at ServiceNow, he's former Chief Information Officer at the Department of, the Agricu of Agriculture. Jonathan, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. The impact here could partially be blamed on the pandemic, and that would be fair. What's 
What is due to agencies guidance-wise regarding the 21st Century IDEA Act? Well, uh, Francis, you know, after the law was passed in, in, at the end of 2018, um, you know, agencies didn't receive direction on um, how it should work into their uh, agency budgets or priorities relative to every other thing that the um, federal government was asking our agencies to do from an IT perspective. So I think prioritization is very important. And then, of course, when the pandemic hit, we saw a number of agencies have to very quickly shift, not just to working remotely, but being able to say, serve their customers remotely. And, you know, I think from a, from a guidance perspective, uh, I'd like to see some direction from, uh, from OMB about what do you do with these processes that were digitized or partially digitized during the pandemic? Uh, oftentimes, we, we read about agencies making changes to how they serve customers, and they did it very quickly. There was, you know, tremendous urgency uh, in those early days. But, you know, are those changes sustainable? Uh, are they secure? Uh, I think, uh, you know, the agencies need to, t in some cases, take a strategic pause and think about how they shifted their processes and ask themselves, is that new process or the process that they, they created during the pandemic, is it ideal? Is it what a 21st century process should look like? And is it utilizing all of the uh, best technologies to serve customers? And uh, make some determinations about adjustments they may or may not have to make around those um, COVID-related changes. I don't think those COVID-related changes necessarily go away as we continue to um, have a lot of workplace flexibility and choice, and we recognize the value that uh, federal employees received and, and the public received through a very uh, mobile and um, sometimes remote workforce. Jonathan, as I age, I find I remember 1978 better than I remember 2018, but I, if I recall correctly, you were still at USDA in 2018. And I, I wonder what one does in a situation like you just described, where you know legislation will require you to do something, but you don't know exactly how to do it. Do you proceed at what you think is the best pace and on the best path? Or do you really wait for this guidance that hasn't come over the past several years? Well, I think one of the challenges when, um, when the, the law passed originally was uh, maybe a lack of clarity around funding. Uh, the Technology Modernization Fund was uh, coming around the same time, approximately, and there's a, you know, there wasn't necessarily a very clear approach for agencies on how to pay for these kinds of changes. In some cases, they may have already aligned with um, requirements the agency had been focused on, and so either funding was available or could be, uh, you know, a spending plan could be adjusted to include these kinds of kinds of changes. Now with the Technology Modernization Fund getting uh, the $1 billion boost in the American Rescue Plan and the President's budget uh, you know, requesting an additional $500 million, now the, the funding uh, challenge is off the table. That lack of funding is often you know, an inhibitor to doing real planning because you could plan all you want, but if you don't have, the, if you don't have funds, it, it's not going to happen. But now there's a, a pathway for agencies who may not have those funds in their, in their budgets to get them. So the challenge becomes uh, where to start, I think, in a lot of cases. And, um, you know, it, and it's not just maybe the pandemic uh, processes that evolve. I think we also have to look at how um, agencies serve their federal employees. You know, the law requires and uh, asks agencies to digitize processes and forms. But if, the, if we can take those steps now that maybe we have funding and, and some guidance coming, um, if that data from the digitized forms uh, is, is languishing in a database that is 
uh, part of a largely manual process that uh, the public isn't really better served. We need to be thinking about an end-to-end -end approach to using that data to serve that customer. There's a, a digital workflow that you know should be created that takes that data from the um, you know, from that digitized form and moves it through an agency process so that the member of the public that's made a request can, you know, be alerted to where they are in that request and the federal employees serving um, that person can be very efficient in doing so and, and really be focused on, on the mission. We just have a little bit more than a minute left, Jonathan. I wonder how important it is that some organization, I always think of the, the councils, in this case the Chief Information Officers Council, um, but how important is it that some construct exists to make this as uniform as possible across agencies rather than each agency receiving the guidance from OMB and going off and doing its own thing? Yeah, you know, that's a great that's a great point. And, uh, you know, recently there was a there were a group of congressmen that, uh, you know, wrote to OMB asking for this guidance because it has been largely inconsistent. So if, if it's the federal CIO council or maybe an organization at GSA or elsewhere that, you know, is focused on this and looking to create standards, the way agencies, um, you know, comply is going to vary based on their maturity and the, the, the complexity they have to overcome. But I think the greater consistency we can add, we can add into our federal websites and with the recognition that the same person, same member of the public is a customer of many agencies, it's going to make it a lot easier for people to interact with their government. And they're going to be able to interact in the way they want and not necessarily constrained by uh, legacy systems uh, or individual approaches, and I think that's just going to, you know, drive a, um, you know, a, a, a greater level of uh, respect and understanding about how government works. And you know, in the end, um, you know, that's the way agencies provide great experiences for for employees and customers, and that drives trust higher. And I think that's really what we're after at this point. Jonathan Album, thanks very much as always. Pleasure being here. Thank you, Francis. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv, and you get a preview of every show when you sign up for our daily program guide. You just text GOVMATTERS to 58671. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 1030 on 7 News to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by James Mahoney and Drew Friedman. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrice Haddon. Our director of content is Alan Holmes. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group. You have been listening to the Government Matters Podcast, sponsored by Hughes Network Systems. Stay tuned for a brief interview with Tony Bardo of Hughes. Tony Bardo is Assistant Vice President for Government Solutions at Hughes. Tony, it's great to talk to you again. I thought of you the other day because I saw another agency make an award on the Enterprise Infrastructure Solutions contract at General Services Administration. You have been telling me for a long time about how important this contract is. Why is it so important, Tony? 
it's so important because the agencies have been dealing with 20 year old network technology um, for 20 years. And, and basically this is their opportunity to use this important contract to modernize the network, to keep up with constituents who are demanding more digital centric services. And the government needs the, the network to, uh, to step up to those uh, expectations. This is a long-term contract. How is it built so that when Hughes rolls out something cool, say five years from now, that the agencies will be able to access that? The agencies will be able to leverage new technologies that come down the line during the life of this contract. GSA's got a good plan for that. They've got a plan for the on-ramping of, of services. Uh, frankly, the, the, the current SD-WAN movement is an example of that. SD-WAN did not exist when EIS was awarded. But GSA's been working hard with the agencies and with the primes to add these services. So what's important is that the agencies demand that the, um, that, that the primes offer various kinds of SD-WAN solutions. There are a number of them out there. They need to not just offer their direct example, examples of uh, proprietary services, but there are multiple platforms. Agencies should really meet with the primes and say, here's what I want. Here's, what I want to, here's where I want to go over the next 10 to 15 years. Time is of the essence, it strikes me, Tony, because uh, there's a countdown clock going here for agencies to get these contracts awarded. Um, if you're just starting this process at the beginning, first of all, shame on you, I guess. But um, secondly, what's the role of the vendor to help uh, uh, an agency move the ball? Well, I think, I think the idea here is to, if you haven't gotten started yet, make sure you're asking the right questions of industry, that you're asking for the right kind of services. If you're still s stuck on an RFP or a format that asks for older technology, there are, and, and there are unfortunately, Francis, a number of RFPs and fair opportunities out there that have asked for the old stuff. And it's it's like, the, the to, to some extent, I'm, I'm, I'm advocating for timeline be damned, you ought to, Stop, stop the presses, start over again and recast the requirement to reflect what's, what's needed, uh, what agencies should expect from their networks today. We just have uh, 20 seconds left, Tony. You have, you're casting this as an opportunity for agencies to transform the way they do things and not just write a new contract, it sounds like. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's critical. It's the right time. The technology is very, very fresh and can carry the agencies for a long time forward. Tony Bardo of Hughes, great to talk to you, my friend. Thank you, Francis.